pretty much the majority of my life was based off of my criminal activity. Um, the people around me, um, when I come home from prison in, in, in 1991, I was a gang member. Um, I was a member of the Bloods, and uh, I recruited as many people around me as I could. Um, so my neighborhood became a, 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 a gangbanging neighborhood. Um, in the early 90s, um, on the news every night, it was don't get caught across the tracks after dark. My name is Paul Choate. Uh, I grew up in North Springfield. Uh, in my younger life, um, I was surrounded by drugs and crime. My stepdad went to prison um, when I was seven years old. Uh, while he was in jail, in the Greene County Jail, uh, I learned at that age how to move drugs. Um, I had a free pass in the jail. They would let me you know, go around the wall and sit on my dad's lap, and, and I'd have pints of whiskey or ounces of weed stuffed in my pants, you know, and I was a kid, so, you know, it was like, oh, he's just there to see his dad. Um, ultimately, um, I was there to take him drugs. Um, around eight or nine, uh, I started smoking pot uh, with my brother. Um, him and his friends would do these little things called Texas shotguns and get you high and fall out. And it was just, you know, one of them things. Uh, it was just weed, it wasn't no big deal. That started a lifelong uh, addiction for me. In 92 to 94-ish, gang uh, affiliation was a huge thing in Springfield. Um, I grew up on Boonville and Chase. Um, of course, we was Bloods. And then there was, there was Crip neighborhoods like further north by, by over by Carney and National that we, we got into it with a lot of times. There was the LPK guys down the street, which was low profile King. Seven Nine Swans down here, you know, we had another uh, gang over here. I mean, they, there, there was a bunch of them. My name is Mark Deeds. I've been a police officer uh, in Springfield, Greene County and surrounding areas for the last 34 years. During my tenure, I worked in the area of patrol, criminal investigations, special investigations, narcotics, and uh, supervised our gang unit. Uh, during that time, I had the opportunity to meet Paul Choate. Paul was identified as an individual who is committing uh, a large majority of crimes uh, during that time frame at about 1999 to 2000. Uh, he became a priority of the Springfield Police Department. Uh, he was a priority, top priority of our task force in which I supervised. Um, we threw all of our resources towards Paul Cho to stop his criminal activity. You know, I, I don't recall how many times I've arrested Paul. Um, I will say that he's probably the one individual in, during my career that I arrested the most uh, throughout my entire career. Uh, it was during that period that methamphetamine had really started being prevalent in the Springfield, Missouri area, uh, and a lot of crimes and criminal activity was affiliated with the use of methamphetamine. So um, when I came home from prison, there was a new, you know, people had, had started cooking dope, uh, methamphetamines, and so I was taken out into the woods and I was taught within 24 hours of being released from prison how to cook methamphetamines. It started a whole new thing, so now I don't have to go find my drugs, I can make my drugs. And, I was doing all this crazy stuff, cooking drugs and just staying high. And so I was out on multiple bonds. Um, every time I went to jail, the bondsman would beat me to the jail. Multiple crimes, uh, manufacturing, um, receiving stolen property, property damage, um, first degree tamperings. And that's pretty it pretty much in a nutshell, just multiple charges of each one. And uh, life got, I mean, you know, never in my life have I been a suicidal type of guy, but 
At this point in my life, uh, I felt like that was my only option. And I remember sitting in my truck one night at a friend of mine's, and, and I was thinking to myself, you know, man, I should just end it all right here. Um, I can't be a father. I lack the ability to be a, a responsible, to have a healthy relationship. All of my healthy relationships, all of my relationships are based off of drugs and crime and, 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 and there's no loyalty in this life and I'm so sick of it. I'm so sick of going back to prison. And uh, I knew in my heart that, that with this pistol that, that, that's, that I got, that if I killed myself, I would be the guy that lived through it. So after having dealt with, with Paul Choate, 25, 30 years of my career, um, I saw Paul reoffend, uh, go back into the system, get out, reoffend, go back into the system and get out. Uh, this was kind of like a revolving door for Paul. Um, I met Paul at our church about three years ago. Paul had just been released. In fact, he was still wearing an ankle monitoring uh, bracelet. Um, he was in church, I was in church. Uh, I don't know that either one of us knew what that was going to look like. We, uh, we talked for a moment, embraced, um, and talked about how strange it was for, us, for both of us to be in church together. Uh, I would have never dreamed that in a million years. And I don't think he did either. I don't think he ever thought that we would be together in church. Unfortunately, after that meeting, um, Paul reoffended and went back into the system uh, until he was released in January of, of 2020 this year. Once again, Paul and I met at our church, uh, River Bluff Fellowship, uh, but this was different. This time was absolutely different. Um, I learned that Paul had grown deeply in his faith. Uh, he learned that I had grown deeply in my faith. Um, since that time, Paul and I have developed a relationship through Christ. Um, he and I serve in, in several ministries. Uh, we serve together here at Freeway Ministry. Oddly enough, uh, we went into a neighborhood early this summer uh, we prepared food. Uh, it was a neighborhood that I knew well. Um, I had knocked on doors and arrested people out of this uh, area that we were at. Um, during this time, this, this ministry through Freeway, uh, we were knocking on doors, um, asking people to open their heart to God. And uh, we were feeding the hungry and, and uh, loving on the lost. You know, I, I can, I, I mean, I can go on for days and days. I've been out of prison seven months. I haven't used drugs once. I haven't had drugs in my on my person, and and so when I see it, uh, my heart goes out to them guys because because they're living a, they're living a life. Satan's got them in bondage, and just like he had me in bondage, it's all for God. Everything. There's nothing that I do that I, I, I would love to say, hey, this is all about me. Don't you know who I am, man? But I can't. You know, I continue to be show God's grace every single day. You know, when I wake up, I look at my situation, and it's like. And this is something only God could do. When, when Mark Deeds and I serve at Bolivar Road Apartments or, or we stand in front of Freeway Headquarters or, or we're standing in church together or, or when he calls on me two or three times a week because I ask him to be my accountability partner, um, it's all because of God, man. This isn't, this isn't stuff that you make up. And today I look back and it's like 35 years ago, you crossed my path with this man and this is what it was about. As the Bible says that the devil comes to, to steal, kill, and destroy. It says, I come that you may have life and that you may have it abundantly. So while, while Satan's chasing you to take what you have and to rip your life away from you, God's coming to give it to you. 
that's that's what I would, would tell anybody that's struggling with addiction or 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 in recovery. You know, um, even in recovery, what they say is is, is is made a decision to turn your will and your life over to the care of God as you understood it. And I'm saying make a decision to turn your life over to the care of God, not as you understand Him, but as He is. He doesn't change. He's a God of second chances. Good morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good? Everybody awake? Praise the Lord. Uh, my name is John Stroop. Um, I'm the director for Freeway Ministries. Uh, we are a nonprofit ministry. Uh, Pastor Dustin said we had nine houses, but it's just a little different. Uh, I, I did a bad job communicating to him. Uh, we, we, have, uh, we plant ministries alongside local churches to run after people most run from. And so we have nine, nine ministries, a part of nine local churches. And then we have homes that are birthed out of them outreaches. Uh, we meet on non-church nights. We have food, transportation, child care, a message of hope. And then at the end of the night, we invite people to come to know Jesus as their Savior. And then we invite them to a local church. And we actually come pick them up and take them to church on the next, that Sunday morning. Um, and we do have transitional homes. We have one year long discipleship program. We're not a halfway house because God doesn't do anything halfway. We are a Christ-centered discipleship ministry. And, um, and so the men and women in Southern Missouri, we have 50 men and women that are going through our program. And, and 92 to 96% of them don't go back to drugs or crime. Um, and then we have, we're in South Africa. Uh, we have uh, one of the guys that came out of our program, uh, from our program, went to Omaha, started a freeway there, and then we're in South Dakota and Tennessee. And so here we are in Orlando. Uh, praise the Lord. Uh, pastor graciously let us have a table over here. And I have a couple books I wrote. One is my testimony book, From the Pit to the Pulpit. And this is a book I wrote on enabling called Stop Loving Your Kids to Death. And, and, and they're over there. We do charge for them or we give them away. And so if you would like a book and you can't afford one, just say, I'd like one of those and just smile and walk away and it's okay. We'll, we'll give it to you as a gift today. Amen? Amen. Well, I appreciate our law enforcement. Uh, I was rescued, not arrested one time. And uh, God, through, that, through my, through my uh, prison sentence, came into my heart and saved my life. And so I'm very, very grateful for law enforcement today. My son, who's 14, actually wants to be a highway patrolman. Praise the Lord. And uh, my wife, Sharla, my daughter, Zinley's in the child care. I'm waiting to see her come running through here because she escaped. She is two, and she is a handful, but I'm very thankful for that. So let me pray for us as uh, we get into the Word of God. Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity. Thank you, Lord, for Brother Josh and his wife, Alex, who, who plan on coming down here as missionaries. Uh, Josh is a, such a testimony of your grace. And I just pray over Pastor Dustin and his, this church and this community. We know that domestic terrorism is drug addiction and drug dealing. We don't need planes flown into buildings. We just need drug dealers on the corner, Lord. And uh, our nation is crippled by that. 
And so we have the answer, and it's Jesus Christ. It's the gospel. It's the local church, Lord. And so I just pray, God, that we would suit up and we'd be willing to go where no one goes and do what no one does, Lord. And we would see what no one sees. We would see the power of God. And so uh, I just pray, Lord, you free me up today, that you'd help me preach with boldness, unafraid, unashamed of the gospel. And, and if there's someone here lost that doesn't know Jesus, that today at the end of the service, they would respond to your conviction. And if there's somebody here that just needs to step out of their comfort zone and surrender something, that today would be the day they do that. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. I like to ask questions because questions make you think. My first question is this. What's the most valuable thing we possess in this world? What's the most valuable thing? Well, if you're, you're going to give me your church answer because you're here at church with your church friends, you're going to say Jesus or you're going to say the Bible. But I think life is pretty valuable. People take medicine to live longer. They, they have surgeries to look younger because looking younger makes them feel like they'll live longer. But how about comfort? Comfort's pretty valuable, right? The most comfortable shoes. As soon as you hear the voted the most comfortable shoes, what do you want to do? You want to go buy a pair, right? How about the most comfortable pillow? Makes you want to get that pillow. The most comfortable bed. Are there any blanket girls here today? Do you have a blanket at home? When you go home, you get that blanket, right? And, and uh, you snuggle up with that thing, and no one gets the blanket because that's your blanket, amen? Because it's comfortable. Well, for Mother's Day, I bought my wife a blanket. She's a blanket girl, and she doesn't share her blanket. Generally, when I come and preach this message, I'll bring her blanket with me and put it in a suitcase and pass it around and let everyone share it because she's so greedy with her blanket. She won't share her blanket with anyone else. But what about Christianity? When you hear Christianity, does comfort come to mind? Let me give you some things that go with comfort. Enjoyment. I enjoy being a Christian. Physical comfort. A life of ease. Convenience. Free from struggle. No resistance. If I was going to ask you this question, who in the Bible made the biggest impact for Jesus Christ, who would it be? Well, if you're preaching in a prison chapel or reaching my people group in the street and they knew anything about the Bible, they would say, Paul. But I want to talk to you about a man who never wrote anything in the Bible, who didn't write 13 books like Paul, who wasn't, who, who wasn't in the same category or an apostle or prophet. But if it wasn't for this one man taking a step out of his comfort zone and doing what no one would do, we wouldn't have an Apostle Paul today. So if you would open your Bibles to Acts chapter 9, we're going to be in verse 10. And if you don't mind, if you can, would you stand to honor God's words as read? Acts chapter 9, verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision... Ananias, he said, here I am, Lord. When God speaks to your heart, I would encourage you to say the same thing. Here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas, one called Saul of Tarsus. Behold, he's praying. And in a vision, he's seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord... I have heard from many about this man, 
How much harm he's done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority to call, authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he's a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles, the kings, and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Doesn't sound comfortable to me. And Ananias went in his way, and he, lay, he went in the house, and, and he laid his hand on him, and he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you came, sent me, that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received sight at once and arose and was baptized. Verse 19, one of the most overlooked verses in this entire chapter. So when he, Saul, who would be Paul, when he received food, he was strengthened. Then he spent some days with the disciples at Damascus. Thank you. You can have a seat. How would you feel if Jesus showed up at your door and told you, I want you to go to Mosul, Iraq, and I want you, I want you to share a message with the leader of ISIS for me because I've called him. Don't you kid yourself. Who Paul used to be? Paul used to be a terrorist who made some ISIS members look like choir boys. I want you just to think about that for a second. Saul had an arrest warrant for Ananias in his pocket. Ananias argued with him. He said, you don't know how many tattoos this guy has, Jesus. You don't know his rap sheet. You don't know where he's from. He has a warrant for our arrest. He's hurt my friends. And Jesus said, I chose him to bear my name. I wish I could have seen it. Place yourself there for just a minute. Put yourself in the situation. He says, I'll do it, Lord. We have a record that he didn't have anyone with him. I believe, Pastor, he was alone. And he finds the place and his heart is beating through his chest. He knocks on the door. He opens the door, he enters the house, and there he is. The persecutor of the church, the murderer of Stephen. Right? He, he does something no one else but Jesus did not tell him to do. He puts his hand on him, and if you'll see the scripture, it says this, he called him brother. Brother Saul, and something like scales fell from his eyes. I wish I could have seen the look on the stiff-necked Baptist people's face when he said, we got one more coming for the potluck. <laughs> Verse 19 says he spent some days eating food. He, he ate with the people he came to arrest. Think about it for a minute. How do you think they felt at the baptism when the terrorists got baptized? See, recovery ministries are all good and chasing the criminals and the drug addicts is all good until the one that stole your lawnmower asked your daughter to go on a date in the local church. <laughs> and then things change. You think everybody was happy? I have three reasons I'm here today. I want to share what God has done. I want to share what God will do. And I want to share what God continues to do. Listen to this with just one person who's willing to take that step and get uncomfortable for the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to have an altar call here in a little bit. That's a time of response to whatever God's put on your heart, but I'm not here looking for the big altar call. 
I came for one. The one person. The one person. So I have a few points, pretty simple. I don't have $25 words, so if you came for that, you got the wrong person because $25 words don't help people. I want to give you something simple. Take this home. First thing is this, obedience is not about comfort. Obedience and comfort, they don't go together. Think about it for a, mi- for a minute. What does God bless according to his word? Obedience, I can understand that, right? God blesses obedience. When I got saved, I went, when I went to prison, I found the prison Bible. I was a bad guy. I knew I was a bad guy. I come from generationals, generations of bad guys. Everybody in my family was a criminal or a drug addict or both. I thought I was doomed. I went to prison, and inside a prison cell, I found a Bible. I opened up the Bible, and guess what I looked Guess what I look for? What does God do to bad guys? Romans chapter 3, it says there's none good, no, not one. Guess what that means? That means we're all bad. That's great news to a bad guy. That's terrible news to people who think they're good. And so if you came in here today with a crooked halo, take it off. The Bible says there's none good, no, not one. I thought, man, that's great news because I know I'm bad. So I began to look, well, could God use a man like me? And I found out I was a poster child for Christianity according to the Bible. I spent 18 months in prison, $5 a month. $5 a month. I went to a store once once a month. I went to get canteen once a month. Five postage stamps, a stick of deodorant, a stick of toothpaste. Never had a prison visit, never made a phone call. I was alone. Me and the Bible. And I wanted to know some questions. Man, look. What's the book of Jasher? Who's the Queen of Sheba? Was the book of John written by John the Baptist or was it the Apostle John? I didn't know. I don't come from church. And I had this cellmate to come into my cell, and he thought, man, you must be trying to escape, or you're re- writing a Bible, notes everywhere on my desk. And I said, yeah, I got questions. All I want is a Christian outside that can answer quest- questions, a real Christian. And he said, I know somebody that can answer a question. His name's Dewey Houston. He's a retired missionary. I thought, whoa, a missionary. I don't know what that is, but that sounds great. Give me his address. So I wrote this retired missionary, and guess what happened? You won't believe this. He wrote me back. And I wrote him, and guess what? He wrote me back. I wrote him, and he wrote me back. Every week for 18 months, that old man, no offense to my senior saints, excuse my language, old man, wrote me. When I got out of prison, I called him. I said, Mr. Houston, thank you for writing me 18 months and you never even met me every single week. He said, I've been writing prisoners for 13 years and you're the first one to ever get out and thank me. Wow. Think about that for a minute. One year, no thank yous. Two, three, four, five. Hey, you're wasting your time. Those people don't change. Six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12. What if he would have quit? 13. You know why I'm here? I'm here because an old man everyone thought was crazy never quit doing what God called him to do. 
I'm going to give you something. You take this with you. Dewey Houston never quit because of his motivation. What was his motivation? Was it hand claps? Was it a pulpit? Was it fan base, likes on Facebook? Dewey Houston's motivation was the faithfulness of God. That God says, God's word says that he is faithful to bless what he blesses and he's faithful to stand against what he says he stands against. The Bible says this, it says, when we are faithless, he is still faithful because he cannot deny himself. Dewey Houston passed away in his driveway ministering to a neighborhood kid in 2012. He came and picked me up and brought me to Springfield, Missouri. He passed away in 2012. We started Freeway in 2011. He didn't get to see this. He didn't get to see the impact he's made on my life. Everywhere I go, I make sure the first time I preach at a church, I tell them about that old man who didn't quit because his motivation was the faithfulness of God. Do you think it was comfortable for Ananias? Do you think it was comfortable for Dewey Houston? He argued. He said, Lord, you don't know this guy. He was afraid. He was out of his comfort zone. I just got a question for you, church member, Christian. Can you show me anywhere in the Bible where God uses somebody from a comfortable position? Can you show me anywhere in the Bible where God uses lazy people? I, I've not found that here. What do you think it would have happened if they would have took a vote? All right, church, let's hold a vote. <laughs> they wouldn't have went and did it, right? But he did it. He went. He obeyed God. I think there are people listening to the sound of my voice that are on edge of the biggest breakthrough in your life, but you're going to miss it because you're afraid to get uncomfortable. You won't step out of your comfort zone. You won't do what God's called you to do because people won't vote on it. I can show you through the Bible people who God used to do a mighty work, and they all got uncomfortable. I mean, I just came from the animal kingdom yesterday, walking all day long. I'm telling you right now, it was uncomfortable. I'm about to die. I told Charlotte, I said, my wife, I can't even sit down. Amen. Woo, you guys go hard here in Orlando, Florida. Abraham left where he was from, not knowing where he was going. And he took his wife with him. You guys ever tried that? (laughs) Joseph in a pit. Listening to his brother say, kill him, sell him, kill him, sell him. They sold him. He was went to prison for doing the right thing. I went to prison because I had it coming. And God used him to preserve a nation. Moses, a murderer on the run, with a stick and a promise, took on the most powerful government in the world. All of those people got uncomfortable. Can you hear it? Ananias' grandchildren telling him, Papa, Papa, tell my friends how you led Paul to the Lord one more time. Tell them how it happened, Papa. Okay, gather around. Hey, and he almost missed it. The greatest mountaintop moment of his life. My second point is walking by faith will always be uncomfortable. Always. I'm going to give you the famous last words of a dying church. We've never done it that way before. Start saying that and you might as well turn your baptismal into a goldfish pond. We've never done it that way before. How do you think Saul felt when he was at dinner with the the people he came to arrest? 
I remember when Dewey Houston came and picked me up. I was in a place called Cuba, Missouri, where they count the chickens and the goats with the population. In the middle of nowhere, at a halfway house, no job, no work, looking for a job, looking for work. I called Dewey Houston. Dewey Houston said, I'll pick you up and bring you to Springfield. He came and picked me up, brought me to Springfield, Missouri. He's in his 70s. I showed up at his house, and his wife had no idea what he was doing or that I was coming. She looked at him. She looked at me. She looked back at him like he's going to chop us up and put us in the freezer when we go to sleep, you crazy old man. I slept in the living room floor of Dewey Houston's house, walking by faith. He took me to the Salvation Army Harbor House, men's, men's shelter, Dropped me off in 2009. Dropped me off at that shelter. I was in an open, man, open bay. I get, out of my, I get out of my top bunk, reach underneath my pillow, and there was a flashlight underneath my pillow, and I twist it. And I do my lock on my locker because you couldn't turn the lights on in the bay until 8, 8 o'clock or they, you'd be in a fist fight. And so I'd, I'd shine, I'd shine that, that light through my fingers and I'd unlock that locker. I'd open that locker up and I'd open that flashlight up and guess what was in there my bible my commentary my notes i take that bible that commentary that notes and i go to the chow hall there was a broken coke machine and it shined just enough on the sea shine just enough light on the on the on the chow hall where i could study my bible and i could read my my notes and it was 2009 in a recession i used to be a convicted crack dealer in a school zone that was my charge but two years ago, the governor of Missouri pardoned me, and I'm, have, I'm not a felon anymore. But at that time, I was a felon with that charge, tattoos all over me, looking for work. I'd go to every place in Springfield I could. I'd take the city bus, and I'd put five job applications in a day. And I'd say, give me a job nobody wants. I'll do it better than anybody's ever done it. And they rejected me, and they rejected me. Guess what happened? Walking by faith. I got a, I got a job. I was, a, I was a bell ringer for the Salvation Army outside the mall in Springfield. I was the happiest bell ringer you ever seen on the south side of Springfield. Amen. Ringing my bell. Only thing I had to my name was some hand-me-down clothes. I had some hand-me-down clothes that I got from prison. And I had a pair of shoes on them that said Pookie. Somebody named Pookie gave them to somebody who gave them to me. But I had my faith in Jesus Christ. And then I got a job at the Hoo Hop Mongolian Grill. There was, a, there was a sign there, and I went in there and got a job working at the Hoo Hop Mongolian Grill. And, and uh, I've been walking by faith ever since. But guess what? When we started Freeway Ministries, we started our first discipleship house. Guess what they do? They get up early, and they read their Bibles every day. Mandatory. They, could, they go put five job applications in a day until they get a job. Where'd that come from? The homeless shelter. The recession, walking by faith. We're able to save the state of Missouri almost $100 a day for each person we keep out of jail one day. We have an average of 50 men and women in our program in southern Missouri. That's not counting South Dakota and South Africa. They're all fully employed. They're all being mentored. They're all part of a local church. They're all paying taxes. And 96, by around 96% of those that graduate don't go back to drugs or crime. The only way you can change crime is if you change criminals. And you change people who are in a criminal environment, drug addicts and criminals, by sharing the gospel with them, discipling them, and teaching them how to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus told Ananias, he said, go, I've chose him. He's a chosen vessel of mine. The man in the tombs, 
possessed with 5,000 demons, the woman at the well who had five or more relationships, and a bunch of ragtag hillbillies from Galilee changed the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ, all by walking by faith. And as we close, my next point, very simple. You never know what God will do if you'll keep getting uncomfortable. I would encourage you, Christian, never, ever stop getting outside of your comfort zone. Never stop stepping out in faith. My first experience in the free world as a Christian in church in Cuba, Missouri, I called the church to come get me. I couldn't wait to go to church. I read about church in the Bible. And I had church in prison. I learned how to sing hymns in prison. And I didn't know anything about church. But I read about them. And guess what the Bible says about the church? The Bible says that they met daily. They are one accord, one mind. Nothing they have is their own. They continued the apostle doctrine, the fellowship, the breaking of bread. And guess what else they did? They went house to house. They loved each other. I said, man, I can't wait to meet these people. And so I called the church van to come get me. And there I am, standing in the middle of nowhere on a, in a little cabin with my pookie shoes, my hand-me-down clothes, and my prison Bible, waiting for the church to come get me. And I can hear the tires of the church van crunching up the hill as they come to pick me up and and I got on this little church van and there was a little old lady on there and she was terrified it was just me and her she's scared of me I'm scared of her because she's scared of me now we're both scared of each other riding down the hill to, to this church and I can almost hear the old western gun smoke in the background as we're going down the hill you know we get in the church and I'm afraid they're going to dunk me in the holy water by the way they're looking at me when I walked in that place got to Springfield Missouri started going to church with Dewey Houston I was terrified of church people because I'm going to tell you something. This is the truth. Church people are kind of weird. <laughs> kind of weird. I was scared. I come from the streets. You know what I thought? They're going to find out who I am. These people are so perfect. I can never be like them. I wore a turtleneck every single service. I had one turtleneck. 90 degrees outside, I'm wearing a turtleneck to church. They say, why, why, why are you wearing a turtleneck? I say, because I like turtlenecks. <laughs> I was embarrassed. Guess what? I never quit. I never quit. I kept going. Where would the apostle Paul be without Ananias? 13 books of the New Testament, in my opinion, made the biggest impact for Jesus Christ because one man was willing to get outside of his comfort zone for Jesus. And I'm going to tell you a story as we close. I say as we close twice so you'll listen because you're kind of fading away a little bit. So I'm trying to reel you back in. <laughs> this is it. When I was in prison, we had two church services. The first one, it was a big open, open area. And it was a Catholic mass. And all the different housing units would go to that, and they would really be there to exchange stuff with each other and this and that. But there was one called Christian Non-Denomination. And it was a little room behind the gym where the Catholic Mass was. And I, those people were serious. That's why I went to church. Me and my prison Bible. I, I, I go to church, and this is what I pray every time. I say, I, I was the first one to get there and the last one to leave, and I'd ask the guy to pray for me, and I'd pray this, this way. I'd say, pray that I can find somebody outside, a real church, because I'm not going back where I'm from. I'm not ever going back. And he'd pray the same prayer for me. But one night in particular, Catholic Mass lets out, all the people from Christian non-denomination lets out, and he prays that, that I would find somebody, a church to write, Someone to reach out to. 
And as all those people, and I'm going to tell you something, you may not know this, but prisons are clean. Clean. Sidewalks are clean. The hedges are clean. It's clean. All these people leave, and guess what? I'm walking out, and I see a piece of paper on the sidewalk. I thought, I'm going to see what this is. It's dark. I reach down, I pick it up, and guess what it is? You won't believe this. It was an address to a church. I thought, woo! I ran back in the gym, and I found that preacher, and I said, look, confirmation, answered prayer. And, and he was pessimistic, but I had faith. <laughs> so I went back to my cell, and I borrowed seven pieces of paper, a pen, uh, 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 envelope, and a stamp, because every inmate knows seven pieces of paper go out on one stamp. So I wrote this church. I told them everything. I told him my story. I told him my past. I told him I was this and that. And all, all I wanted was a church, this and that, to write me a pastor, somebody to help me understand the Bible. And I send it out, and guess what happened? They never wrote me back. Time goes on. I meet Dewey Houston. I end up going to another prison, Bowling Green Prison, Bowling Green, Missouri, level four prison. My first day in the Bowling Green Prison, I went in the wrong housing unit on an accident. I hit the button. I said, I'm in the wrong housing unit. They said, we'll be right there to help you. They put handcuffs and shackles on me. <laughs> They're taking me to a place called the hole for being out of bounds. Now, I thought Christianity was like a country song played backwards. Now, I'm going to confess this to you guys today. I don't listen to country music, okay? But I know a little bit about country music. Don't be mad at me. You, you, lose, your, you lose everything, right? Look, you lose, your, you lose your car, you lose your truck, you lose your dog, your, your wife leaves you, and you're sitting on a porch with a tear in your beard just a swinging, something like that. Well, I thought when I get saved, my life's going to be like a country song play backwards. I'm going to get my car back, my wife back, my truck back, my house back. It's all coming back. <laughs> so here I am in, in shackles and handcuffs walking to a place called the hole. And I'm saying, God, this ain't comfortable. Where's my country song play backward, God? By the time I get to the hole, they have a blow up of me and they put my picture above another guy's picture. And I'm thinking, who's in this hole with me? Who's in this cell? They, un they open the, 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 door, the door up, and they say, put your hands backwards out of, the, out of the chuck hole, and these mammoth hands come out, woof. They put the handcuffs on him, and they say, go to the end of the cell. And I'm thinking, who is this guy? I walk into the cell, and I meet what looks like a giant Mr. Rogers from Mr. Rogers' neighborhood. His name was Robert. And he heard my name, because they put my blow up, and they said my name on, above his picture. And he says, your name John Stroop? I said, yeah, my name's John Stroop. He said, was you just in Fulton, Missouri? I said, I was just in Fulton, Missouri. He said, how wonderful it is to have a messenger of God in here with me today. And I thought, giant Mr. Rogers is crazy. <laughs> so I got to get my handcuffs off before giant Mr. Rogers gets his handcuffs off. So I'm staying right by the hole. So I put my hands out the chuck hole, and he puts his hands out the chuck hole, and he says, let me tell you a story. He said, I'm in here with life, with a chance of parole. They came to the prison yard and arrested me the other day for another charge facing another life sentence. He said, I'll never get out. I was arraigned to my, to my hometown, which is not far from where we were. He said, I'm, I'm going to get found guilty for this. I'll never get out of prison. In that county jail, I made a commitment that I'm going to kill myself when I get back here unless God himself shows me a sure sign that he loves me. And he could forgive me. He said, so I called God out. He said that this morning before I left that prison or that jail to come back to prison, he said, my pastor came to visit me. And he talked to me and he tried to comfort me and counsel me. 
But at the end of the visit, he said, Robert, do you know a guy named John Stroop? He said, I've never heard of a guy named John Stroop. He said, well, he wrote our church a letter a while back. Said he found our address on a sidewalk in Fulton Prison. And you're the only one we've ever known to go to prison from our church, Robert. He said, I don't know John Stroop. They brought him back to Bowling Green, put him in the hole. Not long after he got put in the hole, John Stroop from Fulton, Missouri came walking into the cell with him. We spent 13 days in the hole singing victory in Jesus and rejoicing at the sovereignty of God. Now, here's the thing. While God was working on Ananias, getting him out of his comfort zone, God was working on Saul, getting him out of his comfort zone. See, my Christianity was never about me. It was always about somebody else. Me writing that letter had nothing to do with them writing me. Me writing that letter had to do with saving a man's life in a hole in Bowling Green, Missouri. Would you guys stand with me this morning? I don't know where you're at today. I know that God is sovereign. Matter of fact, this is my vacation. It just so happens, it just so happens it's on Heroes Day. That's why I'm here to preach today. God's sovereignty. A year ago we scheduled this before I even met Pastor Dustin. What's God put on your heart this morning? Maybe you're here and you just need to surrender to Jesus. You don't know who you are and you don't know what your purpose is. Well, I'm telling you right now, there's a God in heaven who died on a cross and he rose again for your sins. No matter what big mess you're in, he can make a big message out of it, I promise. He can use you if you'll surrender your life to him this morning. But maybe God has laid something on your heart and you're thinking, no one's gonna agree with this. God's called me to do this thing. Nobody's gonna vote on it. My mom, my dad, my family, they're going to think I'm crazy. So you're resisting God. But maybe you need to come on this altar this morning and say, here I am, Lord. Use me. <laughs> Let's bow our heads. Father, I can't see anyone's heart this morning, but you can. And this is, sovereign. This is your sovereign, all-knowing hand. You've never been surprised. You've never been late. You've never been in a hurry. You've never learned anything. You've never lost. You're in full control, Lord. If there's somebody here this morning that needs us trust in Jesus as their Savior, I pray this morning would be the day where they would just walk that aisle, get on their knees at this altar and cry out to you and be saved. Simply, Jesus saved me. <laughs> Forgive me. I'm yours. I surrender. Maybe there's somebody here today that just needs to step out in faith and, and take that step. They know, they know who they are. They know what they're supposed to do, Lord. They're under conviction this morning. I pray that today will be the day where they surrender and submit to you. So God, would you use this message for your glory? Would you touch someone's heart this morning? Would this be the day that their life is forever changed? In Jesus' name, amen. As we begin to sing, this is a time of invitation. These stairs are just stairs, but we call them altars because in the Old Testament, things died on the altar. It was a place of sacrifice. So is there somebody this morning that needs to come and just lay something down? Is there somebody this morning that needs to come and take that step of faith? Whatever God has called them to do, this is your chance as we sing. You come. <laughs>